We went to see the pumpkin eater. There were two of us, me and Griffin, and we went in the afternoon after lunch and armed ourselves with flashlights and code kits. We carried Boy Scout handbooks in our ski coat pockets and candy bars and a railroad flare which Griffin had stolen from his father's workbench. Griffin had a whistle ring and two sticks of gum which he hoarded to himself. We went in October, in the afternoon, when the leaves danced circles at our feet in the curt wind, and when the chill of winter death was beginning to settle in on porches and doorsteps. The sidewalks disappeared under our running feet. Griffin leapt at the near-nude branch of a tree, missing it with an oof. I leaped behind him and touched it. The wind whistled the dark days passing. The pumpkin eater lived at the far end of the farthest block. His house, lonely, square, and brooding. It suddenly reared up before us, and we skidded to a halt. I looked at Griffin. This was the dividing line, the place where innocent adventure stopped and the breaking of rules began. Bicycles were not even allowed to be ridden to this spot. Cats dashed away. The lawn around the house of the pumpkin eater was immaculately trimmed, green even in this late time of the year. No dog did his business here. No tree grew here. Griffin and I shied away from the perfect, straight front walk, crept instead across the forbidden lawn. Breathing lightly, we drew up to the side of the house. Gingerbread brown, it was, and seemed still wet to the touch. It looked freshly painted. So fresh, that I found myself reaching to touch it. Griffin slapped at my hand and motioned for me to be quiet. Around to the back of the house we crept, stopping underneath the one window. Shivers went through us both. We raised our heads inside, dimly lit. An orange-red hue filled the room like the light from a hanging jack-o'-lantern. Pumpkins, there they were, stacked one upon the other, butted up against walls, on tables and chairs, filling almost every inch of space. Pumpkins, some bright and lacquered, others bruised and rotten, round, square, Oval, large, little, tiny, nested, oblong, some elaborately carved, lidded, unlidded, smiling, frowning, screaming, some with their guts pulled out and placed in front of them, one with trick eyes set into that seemed to follow you back and forth, one with a knife spring-jacked into its face. 
Griffin and I stared, fascinated, into the room. This was part of the dream of our plan, to see the pumpkins, to peer into this forbidden window and witness the horde of the pumpkin eater. Griffin removed the Boy Scout handbook from his pocket and paged through it, looking for instruction on how to open a stuck window. But, I guess not surprisingly, there was nothing on how to open a closed window, especially one that did not belong to the scout doing the opening. Griffin shoved the handbook back into his pocket, and then I, in a sudden and triumphant flash of thought, produced a small scout knife that was attached to my keychain. It pulled open into a one-inch blade. Griffin's expression was doubtful, but I ignored him and peered over the window ledge again. There, the light of the room had deepened a notch on the color scale, now a warm brown. It would eventually be black. My eyes met the strange gaze of a pumpkin I hadn't noticed before, one with the face of a happy clown that changed to a frown when you turned it upside down. With care and the brazen skill of an amateur, I slipped the knife blade under the rubber seal of the outside window and tried to pry it out. Griffin suddenly grabbed my arm, stopping me. He pointed. There was a catch on the horizontal window, and it was in the open position. I pocketed my tiny knife and pulled the window to the side. It opened with a smooth hiss. Griffin and I exchanged glances. Behind us, the wind was cold and licked at our ears and the back of our necks. An early moon had risen and shone a pale crescent at our backs. Griffin looked at me and I thought suddenly of home of my dad coming from work at six o'clock, of Scooby-Doo on television, of the warm couch and the sharp smell of supper, and my mom moving about in the next room, of my sister upstairs playing her records too loud, of my school books packed in my knapsack, the ticking sound of heat coming up on the baseboard, thoughts of Halloween coming. I turned to Griffin and silently gestured that we turn back and go, but he took my arm. A look of reproach crossed his face. Somewhere at the other end of the block, a dog barked once, twice. Griffin held onto my arm and led my gaze back to the window to the pumpkins inside. The dog barked again, but Griffin didn't hear it. I looked at him and smiled. Griffin made a step with his hands, locking them together and cradling my foot, hoisted me up and over the ledge. There was momentary silence and then I twisted myself and reached back around and then down for Griffin, who now locked his hands in my hands 
and pulled himself up, over, and in. Griffin righted himself as I closed the door shut behind us. There was almost nowhere to turn or step. There were pumpkins piled to the ceiling. Griffin tried to move deeper into the room and nearly knocked over a large pumpkin with carved pull knobs and black polka dots painted on its orange surface. It wobbled and began to fall toward a pile of smaller pumpkins, some of them gourds which were stacked upon a cardboard storage box with rope handles. Griffin grabbed at it with both hands, noting its smooth and dustless finish, and righted it. I, meanwhile, had found a pathway of sorts through the pumpkins and was disappearing behind a bras-cornered trunk. Griffin hurried to catch up to me. We found ourselves in a hurricane eye in the center of the room, a tiny cleared-out spot walled in on all sides by pumpkins. It was very dim here since the fading outside light was cut off by a row of dark orange, almost blood-red pumpkins of diminishing size, started at the bottom at about three feet, and finished at the top with a jack-o'-lantern topper of an elaborately carved pumpkin with a ghastly, unmoving expression. I wanted to see it better, but Griffin cut off my attempt to snap on my flashlight. We stood frozen for a long time. Griffin stared up at the skyline of pumpkins around us, and I thought how wonderful a dream this would make. I brushed my fingers over the mottled surface of an ivory basketball-sized pumpkin and sighed. Light became a little dimmer. There was a sound. Griffin and I were startled. We had forgotten that we had broken into the house of the pumpkin eater. We had forgotten altogether that there was a man connected with these pumpkins. That had been part of the original adventure, to see the pumpkins, but above all, to see the man who kept them. The man other kids spoke about in the schoolyards, over campfires or the ones parents mentioned as a prelude to punishment. Peter, Peter, the pumpkin eater. Starve you, carve you, then he'll eat you. Put your heart in a pumpkin shell, and there you'll keep very well. This we would be able to tell our friends Griffin and I had not only seen the pumpkins, but that we had seen the man in the creepy old house who collected them and kept them. The sound came again. It was almost a scrabbling sound, like tiny fiddler crabs loose in a wooden boat and ticking all over its inside surface. It was an ancient and wheezing sound, old age with claws, moving with slow, careful grace and constant, 
inevitable movement towards its destination. I suddenly felt trapped. The sound was all around us, slow, inexorable. And though we were on our feet and Griffin was fingering in his pocket to reach the scout handbook, there was nowhere to go. My eyes watered and I couldn't see to locate the pathway back to the window. Indeed, that pathway had seemed to disappear and even the line of dark orange, the blood red pumpkins, no longer stood in quite the same line. The white pumpkin I had touched before was nowhere to be seen. And then there was a strange yet familiar sound, a squeak, and then a groan, a slow metallic gnawing that grew furious and then manic. Somewhere behind us, or in front of us, or to our left or our right, there was heavy, wheezy breathing, a rattling dry cough, another wheezing breath, and then a whispered grunt, a shuffling sound, the click of a light switch, a shuffling sound once more. The room was suffused with a dull amber glow, like that in a dusty antique shop. The colors of the pumpkins deepened and softened. The dry cough and the shuffling continued. Abruptly from behind a pumpkin with a wide toothy grin carved on it, an old man appeared. Griffin and I drew back. The man shuffled towards us and lifted his head. There were wrinkles there, so many that his eyes were almost lost to view behind them. His hair was white and stood straight up like a dandelion, and in all directions. It looked as though it would fly away if breathed upon. His hands were veined and trembling, his bones gaunt. He lifted his head slowly and looked out at us through the black shadows of his eyes. He tried to speak. He lifted his hand painfully and opened his mouth, but only a rasp emerged. Dry as a yellowed newspaper. I looked at Griffin. At that moment, the dog at the end of the block barked again, and Griffin heard it, muffled as it was. I felt Griffin's hand on my arm, but he pulled away. In the pale yellow light, he found the slight opening between a nest of small and rotting pumpkins. He slipped sideways between them and then made his way through the maze of pumpkins to the window, sliding it open. It showed a dark rectangle of the outside world. Griffin climbed quickly out, hesitating on the ledge. The dog barked once more, sharply. I followed Griffin outside and jumped out the window, down onto the perfect grass. Griffin bolted ahead. Behind me, as I ran, I heard the shuffle of shoes, and then the clean sound of a jackknife switching open 